Hi, everybody. This is Derek here. Uh, welcome to Evil Chat number nine. Um, this is a good one, especially if you are into youth development, but we go kind of, uh, you know, we stretch out uh, a bit in this one, but it really is mostly about um, youth development training, specialization, all of those types of things. Um, it was originally meant to be a, you know, the, that was going to be just one topic we were going to discuss, but as usual, we got so into it that it ended up being, I think this is about 90 minutes long or something on, on that. And we decided to cut it there and do a separate podcast on some other topics. And I'll introduce him in just a moment. First, I want to go over a few things. Um, talk about some content coming up. I have some killer content coming up on the podcast. Um, I've decided I want to just explore the youth development thing a little bit. Uh, you know, and that'll be, that'll be mixed in with, uh, some of the higher end, uh, discussions and content that I have. And, you know, some of the feedback I've got from people listening is that, you know, like what you you know, people, you know, trying to give me some good advice on what to do with it. And, and one of the things that's come up a few times is what, who's your target audience, right? And in other words, you know, what, what am I, what topics am I trying to gear towards? And I, I just don't, right? and I, nor do I want to, I just want to go where I'm interested in and people that aren't interested in the topics, you know, you'll know when you see the description and you know, you can pass or listen to it and it's up to you. It's really up to you, but I just, uh, don't want to think too much about that. I just want to go and, and have discussions where I want to have them with who I want to have them and enjoy it that way. But anyways, uh, so some of the stuff coming up, uh, I've decided I want to do a, uh, I want to explore the youth development thing a little bit. Uh, that's what the conversation is about today, uh, as I said. And, um, but I'm going to do a series with high school coaches, one endurance, one sprints, and one throws, maybe one jumps, um, with coaches that are, you know, in the trenches. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the realities of specialization and what some of the, um, you know, what some of the uh, issues that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. So uh, my first one is going to be a great guy, great coach uh, here in Chicago named John O'Malley, uh, who's an endurance guy. He's a head coach at a big high school here. And so him and I are going to, uh, we have that set up. We're going to chat uh, pretty soon. That'll be out pretty quick. Uh, I have more from Mike here coming up uh one on the uh eccentrics which is really good we've already done that don babbitt for the throws guys don's coming up we had a great talk and we're going to have another one or two uh the first one was two hours long when he was at his sec champs uh Kaba, uh is coming up as promised uh, not sure when that'll be um, because I have to get the equipment to them. Uh, there's more stew already in the bag. I think we got two more in the bag that's still ready to go. And Matt Jordan, as promised, some point will be up. So there's lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, lots of good stuff. And I just got confirmation yesterday of a, or two days ago, of a very special guest that's coming up. Uh, and it's going to be one of these, like my very first one, 
one of these guests that has nothing, as far as I know, nothing to do with sport or athletics or track and field or anything, but her expertise, I think, really crosses over and the story she has to tell will really, uh, I, th I think will really benefit coaches. At so much so that I'm going to do a prep podcast on it uh, with my friend Tom Novak, and that's a hint to anyone who knows, uh, knows both Tom and I. Um, the two of us are going to do a, uh, a prep podcast just to give you some background, which I think you'll really enjoy. It's a great story. Uh, and then we're, the two of us are going to interview and have an evil chat with this with this woman and uh, I'm just gonna keep it under wraps for now. It'll come out very soon though. It'll be in the next two or three podcasts, okay? So look look for that, look forward to that. So my guest today is Dr. Mike Young and Mike Young is on my site giving a number of lectures um, and with the release of this podcast, I am going to also release um, um, some brand new content, which is a lecture he gave on sprint acceleration from the 2019 um, International Conference of Athletics Excellence. Uh, I'll probably also at the same time release two other uh, lectures that he gave. Uh, they're not really lectures. One is a practical demonstration on sprint mechanics and acceleration, or I think it's just acceleration mechanics block setup and those kinds of things. And the other one is an amazing question and answer period. Uh, Mike, I, I remember at the conference, um, uh, sticking my head in the room that uh, in the classroom that Mike was doing the question and answer, which was just a sort of an informal, hey, if you wanna ask Mike questions, show up you know, in between um, in between lectures and, you know, and he packed the room. I mean, it just got more and more people in it as the conference went on. I think he did two of them. Um, so I mean, he's, it is, I'm not kidding when I say that his content is probably overall the best content on my site in terms of his presentation, the knowledge, the clarity. It, it's just, it, it's amazing. And, we talk about this at the beginning that I, I didn't know Mike. I knew who he was, but I didn't really know him well prior to bringing him uh, to the conference. And I didn't have time to really get to know him at the conference. But in uh, editing all this content and getting it up on the site since the conference, it's, uh, I'm like, wow, this guy is, you know. And so you'll hear when we speak that we have all this crossover in our lives right down to uh a special relationship uh in my life early on uh, someone he knows in his uh his the town he lives in now so it's pretty interesting uh anyways uh it, he's just a fantastic guy uh super knowledgeable um I, and it's just unbelievable what this guy has done like the outreach this guy's had it's it's crazy his pedigree is amazing it's just really, you know, uh, if you don't know Mike or who he is, I think you'd be quite surprised at, uh, at the breadth of his expertise right across the board. It's pretty amazing. So anyways, uh, for better, or for worse, here is my 
Evil Chat with Dr. Mike Young. Mike Young, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you good. again. Good, good. How's the weather in North Carolina? It's North Carolina. You're in Cary, right? Yeah, it's unusually cold. Uh, thankfully, we have Carolina blue skies, so that's always nice, but it is uh, pretty frosty for our our area. Um, it's probably the coldest winter that I've had since I've lived here, which is uh, about 10 of the last 12 years. Uh, really? Had one wow. Day, one day of snow, thankfully, but uh, this morning, I think it was about uh, 20 degrees or so, so pretty pretty cold it's been hovering around 50 but usually around this time of year we have uh we're 50 every day you know with a couple of days of 60 and 70 degrees so um it's oh, it's man, a little I'm colder jealous. but at least we got blue skies so that's uh yeah. I'm, I'm happy about that and the northeast is getting pounded so yeah yeah so have you um have you gotten like you lived in Vancouver for years, right? What four years? No, it was just two years. Uh, really oh, enjoyed it was just my two time years. there. Okay. Yep. And so, so it feels a little bit like Vancouver, minus the snow and the mountains. But uh, uh, normally we're quite a bit warmer than that. My favorite city in North America. And um, yeah, it was just two years. Two thousand. You were working for the Whitecaps. Yep. Twelve. Twelve yeah. through fourteen, basically. Cool. Um, yeah, so well, the reason I brought that up is because it was minus 16 Celsius here today. So you, you actually understand what that means, how cold that is. Yeah. It was minus 24 with the wind chill this morning. We threw, too. We threw this morning at 7 a.m. It was uh, outside. It was pretty pretty cold. But it was beautiful this afternoon. So, um, so why don't you give us a little bit of, you know, a, a brief history of, of your background? Because, you know, you are a kind of a jack of all trades guy right like in in athletics you you're, you're one of your i think you me and dan are of a rare breed where we coach all the different events or whatever event comes to us sort of thing um but maybe give us a little bit of uh, a little bit of history about your background and uh we could talk about uh, athletic lab your business and where you are and what you're doing sure so uh i started as a uh i guess a sports science is the foundation of a lot of my coaching background. I originally wanted to uh, misguidedly be a medical doctor, went through bio pre-med and so forth. Three years in, realized that uh, the societal pressure for that to be a successful life uh, wasn't all it wasn't matched with what I wanted to be. So uh, my passion had always been track and field, uh, a little bit dabbling in weightlifting and swimming prior to that. So that's, that's I, you personally or you personally coaching? as an athlete. Oh, yeah. wow. And then um, around my junior year, what would be my senior year, I switched over to exercise physiology, uh, transferred schools, continued to compete collegiately as a uh, pretty mediocre decathlete, undersized mediocre decathlete. Uh, and then, I, but at the early, from you the earliest days, yeah, I was, I was uh, always pretty obsessed with uh, sports science, training theory, that kind of thing. As a young child, I remember more so selfishly for myself, I remember requesting books and track and field track coach journal for my birthday and my Christmas presents from an early age, uh, maybe like 12, 13. And really just to see how I could train myself because I didn't have great access to very good coaches at the time. So then flash forward, I finished my undergrad in exercise physiology, stick around to do a master's degree, uh, was a GA strength and conditioning coach, as well as a GA 
graduate assistant in track and field. Um, the decathlon, and that was where? I'm sorry. That was Ohio University. Um, okay. And finished my master's degree there in coaching science. Went on, and really from that point on, this is uh, one of the kind of critical points in my future careers. I started, I knew I wanted to work in track and field at the time, and I contacted basically all the top 10 NCAA track and field programs. So your University of Texas, your University of Florida, UCLA, LSU, basically anyone that was perennially in the top 10. Not a, not a one-time lucky year type of thing, but the guys, the teams that were just perennially up there. And, uh, you know, I said, hey, I want to I want to do my Ph.D. or a second master's or whatever it would take. And really, I was using that under the guise of let's uh, let me let me help coach at this super high right, level, right. even when you. I'm not really qualified to uh, or, or learn, learn so more than coach. And pretty much no one wrote me back, uh, you know, even offering my services for free. And at that level, a lot of them don't need a free hand. They've got a ton of it already. Uh, but uh, as as chance would be, I happened to be working for a guy named Ethan Reeve at Ohio University at the time, and he was speaking at the Ohio State Track and Field Clinic. He had about 10 talks, and I think he was just sick of giving talks, and he said, hey, do you want to give one of these talks that I'm slated to give? And really? As the case, yeah, as the case would be many, many times in the prior to that, and then subsequently, I jumped at What was at the any, topic? Do you it remember? was body weight strength for track and field athletes, and Ethan Reeve was. Did you, a, just, did you just stand up and talk about it, or like? No, did you he have gave time to prepare? He, he gave me a, about a thirty six hours of notice. Okay. Um, wow. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah, and the, this is the first talk I public speaking engagement I'd ever had. Five hundred people in the audience. It's huge. Um, Ohio State Track and Field Clinic is massive. I didn't really have any frame of reference of how big this was or anything else. Coach Reeve has subsequently become the uh, Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association president. So he's he's reached a very he's influence on me in terms of strength and conditioning. Uh, but he was a wrestler, uh, a national champion, I believe, wrestler. Mm-hmm. And uh, so bodyweight strength was kind of a big deal to him. Uh, so I had worked as him as a half and half GA with him in the, stri- the track and field team. And... He was a big influence on me. I jumped at this opportunity. So anyhow, I give this talk. And one of the other presenters at the conference was Boo Shexnader. And uh, so I, I went him. up to Boo after his, I listened to a couple of Boo's talks and I went up to Boo afterwards. And I said, hey, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you uh, have heard anything from Coach Henry, who I had, who I had really written to. Uh, Coach Pat Henry at the time, now at Texas A&M. And I said, hey, I've been trying to, do you guys take graduate assistance or anything like that? And Boo said, hey, I was in your talk. I really liked it. If you come down, you can work for me and actually coach. Uh, Pat Henry's probably too busy to take on GAs or anything else like that. So and that's at LSU, am I right? LSU, yep. And yeah, so right. at the, going into this, I had originally thought, hey, I want to be a sprint coach. That's kind of the sexy thing to do. That's the that's what all the the glamour goes to. It's a kind of an in, it really speed really intrigued me. Um, but then when Boo said this, I I kind of jumped at the opportunity. I 
accepted the position at LSU, uh, both coaching and in my PhD program, and then never looked back. Boo opened a handful of doors for me. My PhD program really kind of changed my mindset on critical thinking. And uh, from there, started to do a wide range of things that I hadn't even really thought that would be available to me. Um, and really set, set me in motion for subsequent uh, track and field positions and work and so forth. So, you know, at L Ohio University, I was basically working with mid, what we consider a mid-major program. You know, we, we had average level, no one was world-class, hardworking kind of athletes that were not going to go post-collegiately, generally speaking. And then I go to LSU on my first day on the track. Half the, mm. half the kids out there have national team uniforms and a couple of kids are having, uh, you know, have their Olympic rings tattooed on their arms and so forth. And it was a little eye-opening right. to see what high performance was. And, well, that was uh, a legendary program that's when Pat right. Henry was, was there, right? I mean, so there's, I, there's, and the pedigree that came out of that place is incredible. It's incredible. And you know what? I didn't really have a full understanding of that at the time. You know, I knew who Dan Path was. I knew who... Lawrence Seagrave was, I, I, to be honest, didn't really know who Boo Shexnader was at the time. And uh, I had read, having read Track Coach uh, from the time I'm 12, 13, of course I knew who Lawrence Seagrave was. Of course I knew who Dan uh, Path was. Um, but yeah, the pedigree was just phenomenal. It's a, you know kind of one of the biggest influencing schools in maybe U.S. track and field. So I go there and... Sorry to interrupt, but those are also... Probably, I, I mean, three of, if not the three best educators. Oh yeah, unbelievable. In athletics ever, like Un correct. So yeah. when I say I kind of uh, lucked into a lot of my influences, it's Ethan Reeve. I didn't realize Ethan Reeve would go on to be the the president of the Collegiate Strength Coaches Association and much bigger and better things. And then I go on and I work under Boo and. I later basically am like a uh, on the road living mate with Lauren Seagrave for a year or two. Uh, this is several years on, and then Dan kind of takes me under his wing for for really no good justification, uh, as as I'm sure many people can attest how Dan how altruistic Dan is and just paying mm -hmm. it forward and so forth. And um, so the the influence of those three really, in particular Boo, but then later Dan quite a bit, and later later Lauren, was just tremendous. Uh, and then while I was there for four years on campus, we won six national championships. So it was one of the heydays, one of two big golden eras of LSU track and field, uh, really exposed me to what it takes to run a program, you know, not just not just to train, but kind of what it's what a successful business looks like. That's effectively what Pat Henry was running. Uh, you get the sense that yeah. if you if you ask Pat Henry to sell cookies or T-shirts, it would turn into a Fortune 500 company. Right, right, you know, right. It would be Nike. It right. would be the Nike of cookies. <laughs> I mean, is that level of that level of leadership and that kind of thing? So you get to see what it takes to be perennially successful at the top. What high performance really is. Uh, so then I I leave there after I'd finished my classwork. Did. Uh, a stint at Army at West Point, where I was the sprints and pole vault coach, sprints, pole vault, and multi-event coach. So kind of a weird you position. You coached at West Point? Wow. Okay. Yeah, for three years. Uh, really enjoyed my time there. It was during the height of the 
uh, Middle East war, you know, you immediately post 9-11, you knew that the kids that were going in there knew they were going overseas to be fired at, to be, to see right. like, you know, real danger. So the quality of character was just tremendous. Uh, but in conversely, the, uh, you know, athletic talent that we were recruiting was, was probably hurt in that regards because you, right. all your blue chip talent is, you know, going somewhere where they don't have to go to war immediately right. upon right. graduation. Yeah. So, you know, we were, I went from Ohio University, which is middling, uh, to LSU, which is the, at the absolute top of their program, and then to Army at West Point, where the the men that we were recruiting probably wouldn't be recruited as women during my time at LSU. You know, we I was getting men at 52 seconds in the, in the quarter mile and things like that as recruits. And uh, 100 meter guys at coming in at, uh, I don't know, 11.6 and things like right, that, right. where, you know, these were just uh, true blue collar athletes that mm -hmm. were, were probably more standouts for their quality of character than for their uh, high school athletic performances. Uh, stayed there for three years, absolutely loved it, really taught me a lot about leadership and how to run a program. And then from there, I jumped whole hog full full foot into my business, uh, which I had actually started at LSU. It was primarily consulting and correspondence related, uh, but then left Army and went to uh, start up my business as a... This is Athletic Lab? This is Athletic Lab, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so, so what year are we talking now? So now we're 2009. The business okay. had actually started in a different format around 2003, but it was just kind of, it was a... It was a side gig. It wasn't my full thing, you know. We had garnered some contracts for USA Track and Field. I think the biggest sports science contract, even up till this date, with USA Track and Field. Uh, primarily just me doing video analysis and uh, running high performance centers for the for the elite athletes at national championships and doing some biomechanics studies. Uh, so at LSU, I started working with them as well as their, as the biomechanist for shot put held that position for 16 years really uh, yeah 16? wow was, how, uh, how have you and i not run into each other before like before like <laughs> like i had heard your name but i didn't real i didn't know a lot about you when chris chapman brought your name up for the conference for the uh, international conference of athletics excellence the conference that i used to run <laughs> every year but period of COVID. and and then yet I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to sit through a lot of your presentations there, but in doing, you know, I've only got about half of your stuff up on the site and the rest is going up in the, as this podcast will go up. Um, but as I was looking at uh, some of the, some of the presentations you gave and some of your background came out, I'm thinking to myself, how do, how have I not, I mean, you and I must have crossed paths, been in the same room, the same hotel <laughs> on the same warm up track 20 times. I guarantee it. And we just don't know it. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, some of it is, uh, I've, I've heard this before and some of it is that I, I have uh, borderline different lives. You know, it's, uh, there's people who, only know me as a soccer guy and they don't know any, I right. have any idea that I work in track and field. And even in the sport of track and field, they don't know that 
I, I was the biomechanist for, you know, John Godina and Christian Cantwell and Reese Hoffa and wow. all those guys for 16 years. And Michelle Carter, you know, we won, I don't know, dozens of medals at the highest level during that period. And then, you know, I was the uh, biomechanist for coaching education and the, I, I wow. with Boo, I wrote huh. the, uh, I wrote the pole vault curriculum for, for USA yeah. track and field for a little while. So I've got all these little kind of subdomains and if I think maybe sometimes people might look at them and not realize that it's the same, same Mike Young or that, uh, right, right. you know, as a sports scientist, we were probably on this, you're right, you're probably you're in the same place, the same time sometimes. And I certainly know, knew who you were. We have a lot of shared acquaintances and things, right. uh, especially through that, that uh, I guess it would almost be like the Canadian connection of Dan, Stu, uh, et yeah. cetera. And, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it is, it is quite interesting. So that yeah. after- do, do, you, do you ever find that, um, you know, being an all around coach in athletics that you, you know, you're not in any one group. It's kind of like being like, I was like this in high school. I didn't, I was friends with at least one or two people and every little clique and group. I, I, I was, you know, I used to hang out with the nerds. I'd hang out with the, with the, with the druggies. I'd hang out with the jocks. I'd had no, I'd, I'd sit in on chess club. Right. But I was never really fully into one group. And it's the same thing with athletics, right? Like I, you know, uh, when I was doing a lot of Canadian, uh, teamwork. I, I would, be, I would always, the only reason I, they ever put me on those teams was because I was, I was the guy they could put on that would do the hammer, the pole vault and what, and, and a relay. And they didn't have to bring three coaches for those. Right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I could, not that I'm a, an expert in any of those, but I could competently right. coach an athlete through a games or work with them through a manage an athlete through a games in those events, right? Do you, do you ever find the same thing? Like you, you, like, you know, the sprint coaches all think that you're a shot guy and all the shot coaches all think that you're a sprint guy and you know, you get no love from any of them. I definitely enough. had that early in my career. You know, I'd go into the, uh, I'd go into the meetings as a biomechanist for the shop shot put and, uh, start speaking to John Smith, the, the throws coach and Art Venegas and, you know, these guys are looking at me as a, you know, 165. Yeah, why is the sprint guy telling me how to throw the shot? I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm not even the sprint guy at the time. I'm the 165 year old uh, or 165 pound, uh, five foot eight, uh, you know, sports science guy. Why is he telling right. me that this is wrong? What I've done all this time. Right, right. Now, uh, so initially, I think there was this almost like who's this guy kind of thing. Uh, and I think over time that is, uh, that's, that's changed. Uh, you know, I think I, I've taken some lessons from, from my past experiences and people who've been doing that same type of thing, straddled different communities or different event groups or whatever, different sports for a long time. And I think, you know, the first thing you got to do is just like respect that community and be able to speak their language. If I go, if I go in and I, uh, you know, I'm talking to the to the discus group, and I instead of calling it a discus, I call it a frisbee. I could be the smartest disc coach in the world, but if I call it a frisbee, well, they're not going right. to listen to a word I have to right. say. You that know, round call, thing, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, if you call the if you call the shot the put, or, right. or you know, you you kind of give up give up, uh, you know, the, or the shot throw. 
Right, exactly. Right. So yeah. you got to know the language at the very yeah. least so, to get your to get your foot in the door to have a have a moment of credibility before to give yourself a plus, chance. I guess. Plus, in 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 going through your presentations on the site, because when I edit them, I go through them carefully, and that's that's why I, you know during the conference I don't you know I would love to sit in on everybody's lectures, but I'm so busy going going crazy putting up fires that. But I do get to go through all of them afterwards because I, I edit the content. And um, I, I know, I, I mean, I can tell from yours, you're not the kind of guy that's going to walk in there and go, oh, yeah, you guys, you guys are all doing this wrong. And you yeah. need to do, you know, you know what I mean? Not, you may say that in a different way and help them, you know, uh, but not go in there with that kind of, a, you know, a kind of an attitude, which in some of those, well, in any world-class environment that's the sure enough way to get yourself yeah i mean you know, i think uh, uh you'll, you'll be sitting alone in the cafeteria for sure that's right i mean i think some of that uh what i that what you saw there was a byproduct of me starting my company as primarily a consultancy so you start to see really quickly if you want to get your information across you need to make sure that people will listen to it and it's natural human tendency to be defensive if you hear something that is contrarian to what you believe. Mm -hmm. And especially for someone that doesn't have instantaneous credibility. You know, Dan Path can probably walk in the room right now and start talking about whatever the hell he wants to talk about. And people are at least going to listen to him for a little while before, you know, they realize he doesn't know about, I don't know, nuclear reactions or something to that right, effect. Right. But he's going to have that instant credibility. He might. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, as a as a young 20 something 165 pound guy that's consulting in the shot put with Christian Cantwell's at two meters tall and 150 kilos and Art Venegas, who's produced multiple national and world champions, you know, I have to earn earn my credibility. And uh, you realize really quickly, it's not just about what you say, it's about how you say it. Um, and you want to you want to come across as you're on their team, I think. And we do some consulting to this day, uh, my company, and working mostly in soccer and with uh, different uh, sports technology companies and NGBs. And it's it's really a thing where you, if you want to be effective, you basically just need to take a backseat sometimes, and sometimes make people think it's their idea, or make make sure people realize you're on their team and you want the same goal and a one thing I've yeah. seen and you you know you've kind of referenced this already is that you know those guys that come in the room and kick the can and point fingers uh, they might look good make themselves look smart for a moment to somebody that brought them in but they're not going to be very effective long term you know they they probably want to uh, a good consultant or even a good coach is the person that's going to sit in the background and uh, let somebody else take credit for for the ideas, you know, where, where, where I've seen that a lot, actually, um, you know, I've, I've, I haven't hung out with a lot of the sports scientists, quote unquote, on a lot of the teams I've been on. Cause we didn't have a lot of them, you know, it's in Britain we did. And that was different. Um, cause I was in charge of a lot of them, but when I was on, uh, a lot of national teams for Canada, uh, I'd see that a lot with the therapists, right? Like you, you would see, you would see the therapist over, I mean, I probably did a lot of that work for about 10 years, and you would see therapists come and go on these national teams, right? And the ones that got called back were always the ones that were far more gracious in their approach and more subtle in their approach. 
and you'd see you'd see a new guy or a new woman come in and you know try to be it's, of course it's always the guys too right they you know they, they they try to be a little too you know they're doing too much and they're saying too much and they're inputting too much and and you know um sometimes it's it's out of um you know real genuine uh um intention in terms of trying to help everyone and sometimes just trying to show off right yeah, especially if right. it's a ladder they're they're they don't get called back right? right they just don't it doesn't so it's uh because you do have to work with people so 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 um so how's athletic lab doing now you got so i I've, I've seen pictures of the inside of that place it's pretty uh it's like you have your own facility right yeah just so, pardon my ignorance of what I do or don't know here, but sure. I, I know, I mean, from what I've seen in the pictures in, in your presentations, it looks like quite the place. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, U.S. is spoiled, as you know, and that every Division three university in the country has a better weight room than 99% of the rest of the world. Right. Uh, but in terms of facilities itself, it's... Uh, you know, it's not bragging to say it is a, uh, a world-class facility. I think it's just a point of fact. We have four-lane, 60-meter sprint track with Mondo surface. We've got, uh, you know, enough. Inside? Inside, yep. Inside, wow. We, we've got a turf that's uh, about 600 square meters, 6,000 square feet. We've got 10 wow. dedicated Olympic weightlifting platforms. We've got uh, a little sports science lab. Uh we, we have enough squat stands and bars that we could squat 40 people at the same time. Uh, we can do pull-ups pull ups with more than that. You know, every station has more than a full set of bumper plates. So it's objectively a, a, a great facility. It's taken 12 years, 11 years to get there. We've only been in this current one about uh, uh, one year, of which about half was due, closed due to COVID. But... Um, and then right outside, we've got two soccer pitches. So, you know, we can go outside if this we're keeping this kind of track related. We can go outside and throw the knocking ball. We can throw wow. the disc right outside. Um, it's not a soccer pitches outside, too. Yeah, those are shared. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to okay. say they're ours, but no, we're okay. We have, have full access, access to, to it. Them. Yep. Right. Right. And, oh, wow, um, you know, there's actually the the. Carolina Hurricanes, the NHL team, practices literally right across the street from us, you know, probably 50 meters away. We've got a massive gymnastics. It's a sport complex where, where we happen to be in. So uh, the idea here on our end is that we're, we're uh, shooting fish in a barrel in terms of the youth, youth market. We've got uh, a lot of youth athletes coming in, into and around the area. We do a lot of general so fitness these, work. When you, and, when you, let's, let's, let's just uh, define that for a second. When you say youth development, um, you're talking, you know, athletes that are starting for ready to start formal training and however you define that, you know, they're, they're starting to look at the, you know, work. They're starting to adopt a strength program or a speed program outside of whatever the natural play is or the, or the natural competitive activity that they're doing in their sports and they've, they've come to you because they want to get better at those things it might yeah close yeah i mean we have a pretty wide range of services but um the the youth we basically go cradle to grave is kind of how we think of it so right. uh not too far from that you know we're, we have youth athletes as young as about seven uh us usually where we're starting is about uh nine ten 
And then we have um, some really high-level masters athletes. We have uh, general fitness people that just want to be able to carry in all the groceries in one trip. And then we got a ton of pro athletes. So got a couple hundred individuals that we're wow. training. And of that, uh, about uh, 100, and, 100 or so, uh, 15, 20% are are professional athletes, you know, people that are going to represent their national team. People are getting paid to to compete in a sport ranging from, wow. you know, football, NBA, uh, occasionally baseball. I got a track and field team that we that we run out of the program. I'm actually the performance director for two professional soccer clubs that are local. So uh, it's a it's an interesting mix where you get general. And this fitness. is in Cary. This is in Cary. It's, it's about so have five you ever minutes run into this, this is a, this is total left field question. You ever run into a woman named Allison McCoppin? Yes, at Cary Academy. I have. yeah, Cary so, Academy. That's that's my high school girlfriend. <laughs> it's my high school are, are, sweetheart girlfriend. Yeah, you're I'm kidding you, me. I dated her for for uh, four years until so she went. She's yeah. fantastic. She. Uh, this is how Say I know hi to her. her Dan. When I moved to the area, Dan recommended that we train at Cary Academy. So I reached out to Cary Academy. And Dan Paff? Dan, yes. Okay. So he says, go see if you can train at Cary Academy. And Allison is the track and field coach at Cary Academy. Yes. So I actually coached as an assistant for one year at Cary Academy in order to give my track group access to the Cary Academy track in 2011. So I worked for your high school sweetheart for about Oh a my year. god, man. I'm telling you, well, okay, well she's going to listen to this, okay? So <laughs> I should tell you, I man, I got a lot of stories about her. Holy cow. <laughs> do, do you know how do you, do you know anything about her background? And, and I'm not high, this isn't really a big tangent here, but do you do you know anything about her track high level Canadian heptathlete maybe? She was probably the biggest talent we ever had. Certainly in the province that I come from, um, as a heptathlete, she slaughtered every record in the books. Um, she, uh, at our high school provincial championship, she won every event she went into, she won, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty competitive meet. It's, it's probably that and Ontario are probably the two most competitive high school championships in, in Canada. You know, she got a full ride scholarship to Berkeley. Um, and, uh, you know, she got injured in her first year and never competed again. But she she was uh, she, she was she's the real deal, man. Yeah, she, she totally was. And uh, she's pretty humble a, about it. But I do remember hearing yeah, about it somehow. Yeah, she's super grounded, super sweet. Yeah. 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 She's great. Anyways. Um, wow. OK, well, man, you and I have it's crazy, <laughs> man. The overlap. This is nuts. Anyways. OK, let's we you and I are going to could talk all day about I mean, you know, as you were talking even about LSU, I wanted to, and I'm trying to do my best in my podcast these days, not interrupt people and go off. You know, I keep getting this feedback. Yeah, yeah, you know, like we really like it, but you, you keep interrupting and going down here. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Like Boo, man. I could talk about Boo for half an hour, an hour. I mean, I love that guy so much. He's he's so great, but yeah, for another day. Um, so let's talk a bit about, youth development and then and then i want to get into the the more sophisticated stuff after that okay so um 
I mean, you know, you 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 are as much a developmental expert in youth development as, as anybody. Um, so, like, what are some of the myths around youth development training that you see, and and how has that changed over the past decade or so? Because I think we're in this 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 crazy time now. I thought it was crazy prior to COVID, but now it's really nuts because the the need for programs like yours that you run is getting more you know is is getting greater and greater and because of you know the just the way that you know the the effect of pro sports and the the uh, you know the, the the early specialization everything's just creeping younger and younger and because play is also kind of going out the window in a lot of sense or in, in many ways, I should say, that, you know, really, and I'm, I'm speaking now as a parent of a 12, a 13, and 14-year-old, that if you don't have them in structured activities early, they, they don't do anything. Right. <laughs> Unless you're out there with them, right? Whereas when you and I were kids, or I should say when Allison and I were kids, you know, I mean, you, you were just outside all the time and, you know, you know, nobody thought about any of this. You just did it all. And, you know, you, I was come home and you come home for dinner and that was it. Right. That's not the way it is now. And I was getting worried about it before COVID. And I think we just accelerated 50 years in the last year on this in COVID because, you know, the kids are just, you know, and so if you're, I mean, there's all kinds of issues around this, but what are, so, Talk to me about that. Like, what do you think some of the big missed problems? So I'll, I'll start by saying we're, you're right. It's a really interesting time now because we have uh, two almost conflicting issues. We have the hyper-specialization that a lot of sports want, especially from an early age. And that's a problem. And then we also, especially in the U.S., are battling uh, basically a health crisis at the youngest level. You know, we're having kids who are 8, 10 years old who are, obese, you know, some, in some cases, morbidly obese. So these are two conflicting issues, which... And we're not know, allowed to talk about it. Right. You know, it's, we're supposed to basically to accept it. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's, so we've got these two issues and the solution is a little bit unusual. It's, it's you have to be kind of multifactorial with it, but I, I'd say at the end of the day, you have to take a balanced approach. And I think this is, uh, Similar to what we were talking about before is if you become a master generalist, you have to sometimes step back and look at the bigger picture and that's what can make you successful. And, you know, a lot of people, it's almost popular to kind of uh, shit on hyper specialization and say, hey, don't do this. And then there's also other people that will go like, oh, we need to, you know, it's okay if kids are sitting inside on their iPad and, you know, you guys are, you guys are old uh, fogies who used to go and play outside every day. Now we do this and this and this. And the reality is it's actually kind of hard to make up for four hours of play in one hour of structured, you know, training at, at that young age. So, but if you don't do that, then how do you get around it? So it's actually a good point of what you said is because we have a, effectively a pathway for athletic development in at Athletic Lab. And it's something that I developed with a colleague of mine, uh, James Baker, who's currently at Aspire and Qatar and was the UKSCA youth Another bunch coach of people of the I know. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this guy's brilliant in terms of his LTAD system. And I've, we've kind of morphed the two together. And 
I've added a little bit here and here and there, but basically the, the underlying principle is that children are not children are not miniature adults and that we need to look at the bigger picture, which is at at the very least a lifetime of health and fitness. And perhaps if we drill down even more, the long-term success of the athlete. So what we would do to make an athlete successful at eight years old, you know, be hyper successful and win a youth national championship probably isn't what we would do if we want them to be successful and go to college and get a scholarship and maybe go post-collegiately. So in the US, we have this weird system where you very rarely have this pipeline, a systematized pipeline like you might have in a less democratic country where you can control all aspects of the training, mm -hmm. like say in former Soviet or German yeah. systems where you can, you can really control those things. But what we've done at Athletic Lab is what we believe is kind of best practice. And similar to what you said uh, about your children, people ask me what I would do, what my model is. Well, I've got a just turned 14 year old. And, you know, as a parent, I think anyone can relate that really what we would want is the long-term success of our child. And in many aspects, we realize like we have to give up short-term uh, ease or short-term gains that are smaller for longer-term success. You know, that's all about what what uh, you know, making discipline issues is as a parent, right? You, instead of just handing over an iPad, you actually spend time with your child and teach them or whatever it is. The same type of rules have to hold true for athletic development. So early on in what we call our lab rats program, so it's athletic lab, lab rats are the really young kids. It's basically structured play. It's introduction to the basic movement patterns, some strength training. And it is what physical education class should be. So, you know, a lot of and places. And what ages would this be? So that would start at around seven years old, seven, eight years old, and um, then go for about three years. And then that morphs into what we call our scholastic prep program, which is sixth through eighth grade. And that's a little bit more structured. We'll start to introduce some weight training, start to do, uh, there's still elements of just, wide range of motor patterns and exposure to different sports. So kids come in, they might learn to catch a ball, throw a ball, kick a ball, strike a ball, that kind of thing. They'll do agility and even if they're a track athlete, they'll be doing some agility. They'll be doing some crawling. There's some kind of sport ag or movement agnostic, sport agnostic movement every single day. And so we're trying to develop a uh, more all What do you around. mean a, a sport agnostic movement? You mean so something that can be applied across that you would... Yeah, a, a almost... Common movement so, across all sports. Yeah, basically as far from sport specificity as you could get, right. you know. So, um, you know, we'll sometimes get these kids come in and they, they'll say, hey, I'm a, I'm a volleyball player. I, why do I need to run? Why do I need to, you know, do catching even? And I just need to jump put me on the vertimax i just need to jump well you know maybe that's true probably not but maybe that's true when you're 18 to 22 years old and you're hyper specific and playing at the highest level but probably not even then and when you're a young kid let's teach you how to be a, a athlete you know you, you know all the uh the stories of what the Russian models did and what the German models did and they've got their they've got their guy who they pegged as a future world champion in the hammer throw and he's as a eight-year-old he's just doing swimming and gymnastics and 
you know, he's a sprinter and he's a jumper and he's, that's basically what this program is modeled after, obviously in a more you know, democratic you know can, way. Yeah. Can, can I say something about that though? You know, it's funny because um, I've, you know, in talking to Bondarchuk about that, you, you, you get a different picture of that uh, in terms of the Russians, for sure. Um, you, although I've also talked to Eckhard Arbeit about what they did in East Germany, and it's, it's exactly what you think and what, we, and what we've heard. But with Bondarchuk, uh, I got, now, I mean, who knows? It's, it's hard to communicate with him sometimes, but, you know, he, it, it seemed less structured than we think in Russia. You know, it was well, more Well, I think like, that's... Less structure is sometimes structured. So it's structured in the fact that it isn't having structure. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's just like our program as well. You know, so our program goes from, if you look at, uh, so that it's a three-step program. It starts with lab rats. It goes to scholastic prep, and then it goes to scholastic, which goes up to high school. So if I okay, reverse. So, so, so scholastic prep, basically equates with middle school middle school correct okay yeah. and then the and then the third one so what was the third one called again? third one is high school scholastic scholastic okay remember i'm a canadian yep right? yep so these so, are you know okay everything okay, even down to the naming structure is kind of representative of what we're going for so lab rats is like we're literally going to test and play around with you you're going to we're going to experiment you're going to experiment with movement Etc. It's open ended. There's not a, there's, it's the class itself is barely templated. It's very loosely structured. So give me uh, an example of what a of what a session might look like. So some kind of active dynamic warm up. We might pull out kind of uh, cards for yoga. You know, the kids can choose a card. They can choose what stretches they want to do, kind of in a group fashion. Then we go to uh, some kind of game, and not a game that is a sport per se, but it might be like, um, it's, we call it fitness masked, fitness masked as fun. So the kids are enjoying themselves. Almost imagine the type of stuff that you do on a playground. It might be obstacle course races. It might be, you know, tag games. It might be chase games, uh, right. evasion games, right. that kind of thing might, right. might involve catching and throwing and hitting and striking and, or at all of the above. Uh, they learn the to smart crawl. kind of games where everybody's moving all the time. That's as right. Opposed to That's one right. stand, one kid standing there with his finger up his nose, and you know, or twenty of them, and one kid doing something. So, and right. then there will be a uh, maybe finish with some kind of a medicine ball or body weight type of strength exposure, um, and then that morphs into scholastic prep, which is more structured. So that actually has a it's a it's a strictly templated program, but there's no programming if you if you can follow. So every session mm -hmm. follows a template, which would be okay. Five minute active dynamic warm up. We're going to spend a module on flexibility, and here's our kind of speed development. But the speed is still going to occur in the context of games or chase or evasion if we can. And then we're going to do some kind of uh, movement movement skill, very general. You know. Uh, can you teach it? Can, maybe we're teaching um, how to how to climb a rope. Maybe we're teaching how to uh, to hurdle. Maybe we're teaching how to kick a soccer ball or something to that effect. You know, we've we've been pulling out um, what's it called uh, spike ball, uh, the, the the game that you play out at the beach. We've been doing right. stuff like that. So it's far removed from what they might get in their sport practice, but things that have basic carryover. And then we finish that 
class with uh, about 20 minutes of a circuit. It's not exactly like a one by 20 program, but we'll, we, we have a whiteboard written up and it's got- What's a one by 20 program? You so mean, like, you, uh, you like the yes is one by 20 type of thing. I'm not a, oh, okay. necessarily an advocate of that, but I think I like the, the premise of exposure to a lot of different movement patterns and repetitions. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, I was, I was just popped in my head. I was going to ask you, do you, what, like, what are your, uh, you know, like, what are your movement? Uh, I guess I don't want to say movement templates, but like, what, what is the, what is the philosophy that drives all of those in terms of, you know, the strength or speed? So for instance, for me, when I set up programs like that for, well, for anybody, but for kids in particular, I will, you know, there's, there, there's certain things that I, that I will make sure happen. Number one is that I have a, a, a certain ratio of exercises that go through the three different movement planes, you know, sagittal is very easy because just about everything's sagittal, right? But transversal that make sure there's enough twisting and then I'll, and frontal because that's very hard to sort of target, uh, not hard, but there's less in the inventory for that. I'll make sure that, um, I have enough unilateral and contralateral patterns in terms of, of movement and th as opposed to bilateral because that could, you know, you're going to do bilateral obviously yeah. naturally and there's a lot of things you're going to do that are bilateral, but you, um, but all, but so, you know, that, you know, like, do you have something global? Yeah, exactly like, like that. So for okay. example, we have, uh, so we finish in that strength training section is, the coach just brings out a whiteboard and the whiteboard has six different movement categories in it. And we, he's going to write whatever the heck movement exercise he exercise he wants in that movement category in whatever the heck prescription they want, ranging from something like six reps to 20 reps. So your movement patterns are going to be your squat, your, uh, uh, lunge, your push, your pull, your brace. Um, That's another one, right? Right. Is the, you know, the, what I don't, some people call the primal movement pattern. Yeah, right. So it's it's yeah, right. roughly that, and then I encourage them to not pull out a barbell. So it's you're basically what are we doing? We're using some soft exercises, soft soft resistance, medicine balls, a lot of dumbbells, some kettlebells, and get creative with the exercises because at this point in time, we might occasionally use some heavier weights, but they're still middle school. It's more just introduction to these basic movement patterns. We get kids that are strong. You know, there's there's kids that will goblet, there's kids, uh, my daughter's like the, probably the best example I'd love to brag about, but she, there's uh, the average class, you got kids who are in middle school and they're goblet squatting 60 pounds, you know, at whatever, 80 pounds of body weight, 80 to 100 pounds of body weight. So, you know, they're pretty strong um, and that's the average. You know, you'll get some kids who are pretty dang strong. My daughter is probably the, the foremost of which, you know, she's 14 now and can squat one and a half times body weight. No mm -hmm. real formal edge, formal. She just tags along to the gym with me. I'm like almost averse to putting her through a really formal right. program. I don't want to yet. Can't stop her. <laughs> yeah, right. And then and then the the next level is the scholastic program. So we move from basically well, hold on, hold like, on, hold on. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I it, we'll we'll get there in a sec, but I I, I want to I I mean to, to me this is this is I love this. Okay? This is this is amazing. So, um do do you have rep 
repetition parameters, loading parameters, or did I, you know, uh, any sort of formal parameters that you work with at that stage still? Like, are there, are there places you won't go? Um, because that's kind of uh, always an interesting conversation. So, so we, you- uh, we don't have hard loading parameters. In fact, we, the rep ranges we keep above six. We're not averse to lifting weights in any regards. You know, my daughter, my daughter who's more experienced than most, she'll do heavy singles and doubles. I have zero concern for her. She's already, you know, probably taller. She's taller than her mom and probably soon to be taller now? than me. She's 14. Okay. So there's, you know, all of the concerns about stunting growth and all of that are just completely unfounded. Anyhow, uh, generally speaking, the reason we don't lift heavier is because we're dealing with novices. Uh, we don't have any hard limits in terms of either absolute or relative because most of these kids, they have zero idea their max. If they have a max at all, right. it's on a body weight exercise. We'll do a two minute push up right. test, army standards. We'll do a pull up test, arm, you know, uh, air force standards. Uh, you know, we'll do some, some time like squat test or something like that. And they're, we're not even concerned about it really. We're looking obviously for technical failure. We don't want uh, any kind of meathead approach in this age bracket. Once they advance and we'll start to utilize barbells more and get into more basic barbell strength, then for sure we're we're testing, we're assessing. But at are, this point but are, in time, are we still in the are we still in the uh, middle school? Sorry, no, for, middle school. Oh, there's okay. yeah, yeah. Middle so school. Now they, you're you're, get, you're moving down into scholastic. So so there's definitely a, a progression. I always say, and I don't mean to interrupt. I'll I'll I'll, I, I'll let you continue in a sec. But I always say, look, you know, the <clears throat> The actual loads that you use in the exercise selection you use at any stage along the continuum, to me is less important than the actual progression itself, right? Yeah. Like there, there, like the, there has to be a progression going from zero to what, whatever the, the, the end goal is. And people get too wrapped into these, you know, well, you can't lift heavy. Well, now, generally speaking, I would say, yeah, well, that shouldn't happen. I, you shouldn't walk into a weight room and see a 14-year-old, you know, or a, well, let's, let's, that's a little uh, great, but maybe a 12-year-old doing, you know, heavy squats or anything like that. Generally speaking, yeah, I, that's not something I would, I would want to see. Or another one that drives me crazy is when people say, well, you shouldn't do that exercise. Or you shouldn't do this exercise. So the, well, the exercise, an exercise is an exercise, like, what there's i can't think of a bad quote unquote exercise it's how you how you load it it's how you yeah. you implement it right am i am i no that's are, exactly are right i mean I, well 100% i mean i i'm one that will never deal in absolutes i i really would be hard pressed to come up with uh, you know f- more than a handful of absolutes in any area you know i think uh, much less training so bad exercise just dumb you know it's a it's a it's a thought exercise if anything and progression is the name of the game in my opinion you know that you could it doesn't you could give me no weights and i'll figure out a way to progress strength yes exactly. uh, and, and um really we're in a we're in a time period where that's not rewarded at least from 
you know, social media, right? Social media yeah. will reward the fanciest exercise, which is literally yeah. just your one one second of dopamine rush to your brain right. to say this is sexy, rather yeah. than to click on it. Right. To pro yeah. an actual progression is is the antithesis of sexy. It is like okay, we're going to yes. invest in the long term development of something, whatever that yes. is. And the planning is way more important than the like the little minutia. The exercise selection, to some extent, is minutia compared to the progression of the overall yes. scheme. You know, I think I totally agree. I totally agree. I I totally agree. Um, okay, good. So so so, can you can you get into the scholastic now? Because this is, I think, the real meat and potatoes. I think it's yeah. So scholastic, the idea is, I guess we were. Um, Scholastic is training, training to compete. So if the Scholastic uh, Lab Rats is preparation to train, basically creating a, a wide movement library and introduction to fitness and structure. Scholastic Prep is uh, training to train. And then Scholastic is training to compete. And obviously you have a cycles within that and that's very broad but now we're getting a little bit more serious with our training we have a structured progressions we have uh you know the, the kids will go from following a template that the coach can make up on the day versus they enter scholastic and now they are following a four-week plan and it's a it's just like a normal training cycle that you or i might do for a high performance athlete it's obviously uh, age appropriate when when necessary. Some of the more advanced things are may not be in there, but there's a progression. You know, they're going to come in and they're going to do the exercise on week one of day one, and they're going to come in and do the same exercise maybe on week two and three and four, and then it's going to switch up again. So the it moves from being this very loosey goosey exploration of movement patterns uh, and an emphasis on fun to very structured progressions and planning by the time you get to the scholastic level. And, th and of course that would necessitate uh, testing and assessing. So what might be completely inappropriate for your seven year old to say test on anything um, for inappropriate on a variety of levels. Now it's almost a necessity if you're gonna plan and progress the the training, you yeah. need to know where someone is and where they want to go. So uh, it is a, a progression along that entire continuum to structure. So when I said this the early on, you know, you, you kind of pointed out about uh, Bonnerchuk is I think part of the structure of that early on is, is that we're not going to have this very evident visible structure. That is, at least on, this is how we do it, is that there's not going to be, it is going to be a little bit different every single day you come in. And that's what we want. We want you to be exposed to as many things as possible. You, you, and um, we want you to, we want every single person once they have left your, your lab rats to be able to competently do a squat and a push up right. and a pull up and right. be able to change direction yeah. well on both legs and vertical jump and land and and sprint you know yeah. like a like a sprinter all the things that you and I could do when we were kids because we were we were just for the most well maybe we couldn't do all of it but we could we get enough of it done through just play natural competitive movements or sports yep. or whatever the hell it was but yeah yeah and then you know by the time we get to that 
scholastic level, it's going to look a heck of a lot like what, what a collegiate athlete would do. So we're preparing athletes to be able to, at every level, we're preparing athletes to succeed at the next level. So lab rats, they're prepared to succeed at the scholastic prep level. At scholastic prep, they're, they now know all the movement patterns and then we can load them in the scholastic level. And then scholastic level, well, maybe they're, they're going to leave us and go to the collegiate system uh, and at, or you know, maybe they train, continue to train with us in while they're in college, if the sport is say weightlifting or mm-hmm. maybe track and field or something like that. And we want to make sure that they have the necessary fitness level and, you know, skill in every movement pattern that they can be, they can be successful whether they stay with us or whether they go on to another coach. Um, so it's a pipeline, basically. It's a, right, it's right. A, so, so let me ask you this though, because this has been in my head lately a lot, and I have an interview coming up with a local endurance coach here, uh, who's very smart, very, uh, very experienced. He trained with uh, a high level group, and him and the the if if it goes the way I think it it it's going to go, it, it should be a good debate on specialization and early specialization. And I think one thing I should say here is that, you know, uh, specialization is not a bad thing. That's right. right. It's, it, it's, it's a very good thing. It, it's just, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. That's, you know, I mean, at the point, like for me, I would say that you are specializing pretty much right off the bat with, with your lab rats. It's just the first part of specializing is this preparation it's that's right right it's like, not you know you, you have to understand specialized specialization is a process it's not a thing right that's it's right. not it's not a it's not a you know uh it doesn't it doesn't rep it doesn't uh, uh doesn't allude to any special intensification or any type of loading it, it what it is it's a it's a it's a quality. No, I'm losing my, I've lost my thought there, but you, but you know what I mean, right? It's oh yeah. Not- I mean, I, th- I think that's why I was saying is like at the start, uh, we're battling these conflicting kind of mythologies that specialization is bad, but also we're living in a culture where they don't even recognize the importance of fitness. So you need a fitness and movement competency. So these two things need to go together. You're so, you know, we've, I've, we've worked with, uh, a lot of high level teams and youth level groups and clubs and that kind of thing. And it's a sad, sad thing when you see a kid who's like 17, 18 years old and they come in, they can't, they're, they're a high level academy level soccer player and they can't do a jumping jack, things like that. You know, something failed them along the way. Uh, Or, or, you know, I think you can probably see this with your kids are the same age of mine where, you know, if a kid is 15 years old right now and is, morbidly obese, something failed them. A child should not be morbidly obese at 15 years old. No. So, and we yeah. I, th- simply, I, th- I think most people would agree with you on that, but there are a lot of them out there. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And, and the, what will eventually happen, and I think the army is getting into this, our, armed services are running into this problem now, is that if people are unfit, it doesn't matter how well you specialize because once they get to the top, the pool is smaller, right? So mm-hmm. people that are can pass the army fitness test right now, the pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because people just simply can't do pull-ups, push-ups and wow. run, yeah. run a couple miles. So we want to expand our pool a little bit. And it's especially critical in this long-term athletic development pipeline because kids develop at such different rates. You know, you, you don't know if this kid that you're pegging as a, 
as a junior champion at 12 years old is really fully mature and he's not going to get any better versus someone who's right. three years behind his his uh, maturation level and he's just way behind, not because he's actually worse or less talented, it's because he's actually physically a nine-year-old. And yeah. so in that critical period of like, I don't know, it, 10 through 16 or something like that. You have no idea really what you're dealing with unless you're taking bone scans and uh, hormonal profiles and profiling the parents and, and doing genetic uh, testing, which is what they do. Some of that, quite a bit of that in um, English English soccer and some of your big time soccer clubs because they're trying to tell an ID and there's so much money in it. But short of doing that kind of thing, you basically just have to assume that everyone can be good and that uh, you know, there's the people that are good now might not very well be the people that are good in two years. And the people that are terrible right now may very well be your best performers. I think yeah. Dan maybe yeah. showed me a slide one time of Donovan Bailey. And it was like when he's at the track with his older brother and uh, his older brother's an all-star and D Donovan Bailey looked like the, the ugly duckling. And a couple years later, uh, Donovan Bailey. Actually, I think maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a Safa Powell. I think it might have been a Oh Safa yes, Powell. right. His, bro his brother Donovan. Yeah, and his yeah. brother Donovan's an elite sprinter, but you see a Safa Powell, and the guy's yeah. like because he trained with Dan. Yeah, and he's like a he's like a dud, right? He looks like this yeah. uh, a giraffe, a baby giraffe. And then a couple of years later, a Safa Powell's got a world record and runs sub ten more than any other human in in history. So you, you just can't tell during that early, uh, early through late adolescence. And you, I think if we're going to be do our due diligence as practitioners, we just want to assume everybody's going to potentially be good. And a lot of the differentials in those early years are going to normalize and equalize. And you can't really tell until they're 16 to 18 years old, what's really going to happen here. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, and I think that's, the specialization argument, you blow a hole through that really quickly when you look at some of the top people ever. Like, you know, yeah. Tiger Woods well, specialized you know, when he was eight, five years old, you know? <laughs> Stu and I talked a lot about this. Uh, we're continued. It comes up all the time when, you know, we're, him and I are doing a series of, it, 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 it didn't start out to be a series, but it has ended up being a series because we can't, it's like you and I right now. I'm sure, I mean, dude, if you want, if you want to do more of these, I, I, I could do one, I could do three of these on every single question I have here for you and I could go on forever about it. But, you know, um, but one thing that him and I talked a lot about is this black and white thinking, like people, coaches and people in general can't think in nuanced terms. So, and, you know, and nowhere on the continuum do you need more nuanced thinking really in some ways than you, than at, at this critical age group, because you just, you know, yes, you have to have templates and, and that you, you're working in big groups. So you have to have like structure like you have, but at the same time, you have to, you know, you have to realize that within each of those groups, you might have, like you said, one, one kid that hasn't hit, hit puberty yet. And is, you know, you know, uh, you know, ha hasn't put on the, the 50 pounds in two years that they're going to put on. And the other one's got a beard. Right. right. And, you know, and, and those are going to take different, different approaches, but people can't, you know, and I don't know. It's just, I, I find that that's a, a, a real, uh, that's a, you know, that, that holds a lot of people back as well. Anyways, but back to what I was saying before now, so we get a good picture of what you're doing. And I, I mean, it's, it's 
great. Sounds amazing to me. But he, here's what's been getting me lately. And I was going there with this, this talk about this podcast with this endurance coach. His name's John O'Malley. Is that you, you, you have another issue here, right? Which is athletes that are, you know, training or competing in the hopes of, say, getting a scholarship. Okay, and I can't speak for other sports. You can do that much better than I, but I can speak for athletics. So track and field. So, you know, what about the athlete that when we're talking about a long-term progressed model, that it in a lot of ways, the way we set the way, I mean, my, my justification when I do a lot of talking, uh, on, on this topic, or when I do a lot of presenting is that, you know, you don't want to ruin the talent, right? You want to be able to make sure that that if they're gifted or if they have the talent to realize their best, that they do that later on when they enter into high performance or collegiate training or whatever it is, because if you, if you, over specialized too soon let's not call it early specialized let's call over specialized too early then you're going to burn up you know those resources and when they get there they're either going to be hurt or they're not going to have any trainability left right that's that's kind of the the argument as it's always been but what about you know but that a, a lot of people make a good point that that doesn't apply to 99 percent of the kids that are out there that are not maybe going on to be uh, an, uh, an olympic or world champs medalist or have that potential and for them and this is where it's wrong is that in my opinion anyways is that a lot of the uh <clears throat> these programs when they're scouting talent they base it on these numbers right like you know if you you, if you want to be a football player and you want a scholarship, you're probably going to have to do some kind of a test where you're going to have to, you know, they want to know how strong you are in the weight room, right? right. Like they don't, they don't seem to think that, you know, that we could develop that later. And you kind of want somebody that is athletically gifted, has been developed, but maybe, you know, hasn't hit the max strength that hard, at least. They have some reserve left. They have some trainability in, in that one ability left to, to become a, a good football player in the long term. Does that make, am I making sense here? So how do you balance that as someone that runs the business that you do in terms of, yeah, you want to specialize and do it all right, but what about the kid that is trying to get a scholarship and that scholarship is going to change a kid's life, right? That's so right. The scholarship yep. is going to, is going to like, you know, without it, you know, they may, they're, they're they, they're not going anywhere. So, to me, I, I would say, you know, maybe there's a justification there for doing it, you know, for for specializing a little earlier or pushing the envelope, let's say, in whatever parameter it is that they're going to be tested in, right, so that they can get that scholarship because that kid's not going to be an Olympic champion. You know, their, their, their ceiling is getting in there. That's, the, you know, that to them. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's I mean, exactly right. So the um, it's actually more evident in uh, some of the youth sports because in track and field, you're going to get your guys like, I don't know, I'm thinking of like a guy like Donald Thomas who's never high jumped in his life and then he find the guy and he high, all of a sudden high jumps, you know, 240 or something like that within a year of picking up the event at 23 years of age. Talent can overcome all in our sport, track and field. But in some of these sports, like um, 
say soccer. We train the largest youth to pro soccer club, I believe in the world. So I think 13,000 kids, youth all the way up through pro. We don't train them all, but we train the highest level from about 11 years old all the way up through the two pro teams. This is a club? It's a club, yeah. So uh, where in Cary in in North Carolina? So it's North Carolina Football Club. I, I'm the performance director for the pro teams, but then we also train the academy teams from eleven on the boys and girls side from eleven through uh, high school, basically. And what you see really quickly is that if you don't make the U12 team, then you're probably not going to make the U14 team. So these teams within this club are you know, you have to, you're not all of a sudden going to pop, come out of the woods as Donald Thomas in, in basketball sneakers yeah. and just be so amazingly talented that you're going to make the world championships in your first go at it. Uh, you're going to have to come through this pipeline. So the way I think is probably a better way of thinking of it is that uh, specialize in what you're competing in, but don't specialize in how you're training for it. So early on, you don't specialize in your training necessarily. You, if, even if you're just going to pick soccer as your sport of choice for the rest of your life. Well, you know what? Go out and swim every now and then. Go out and uh, play tennis. Make sure you maybe do track and field uh, when you can. But um, compete in the sport of soccer. Now, in some cases, soccer is a great example because they've become very controlling. And, and basketball is like this a little bit as well. But in soccer, some of the academy programs don't let you play high school sports they, they require, they don't let you even play high school soccer. So wow. you have to join really? the academy and play ho- uh, soccer only all year round. It becomes a, a uh, you know, 10 month affair basically. And then if you get out of that cycle, you're basically not making it to the next level. So it is very interesting. Um, but I think yeah. the, what you basically termed as uh, what you're tested at is, is kind of the is maybe a, a good way of putting it. But what, whatever you compete in, go ahead and specialize in that if you want to. I don't think there's any harm in that. I think there's, you basically, if you don't, you potentially shut the door for continued development, right? It's yeah. it's kind of like the, uh, you know, post-collegiate system in the U.S. for track and field is interesting because it basically says, hey, if you're not fully developed by the time you're 22, it might as well shut it down because... Uh, I, I've kind of got a lot of guys that ignored that in my group, a lot of division two, II, division three guys that were, you know, could never compete at the, at, at an LSU type of school who've since gone on to make national teams and things. But, um, you know, I, you're, you're coming from events sometimes where like the hammer throw, what's the average world champion is like gotta be 30 years old or something yeah. like that. Right. 30, 31. Yeah. yeah. So you know, there's a lot of these things where we're not going to reach our peak till much later. Mm-hmm. But if you if you didn't get to a level that society or your subsequent level team coach thought warranted selecting you for this for the next level at the prior level, then you basically have to shut it down, which is effectively what you're saying. You know, so you have to keep the door open so that you can continue to progress. Uh, well, you know, you 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 said what was the phrase you used? earlier there you said you always say um uh i i didn't quite get it but it's but uh it was a catchphrase for that um because because 
because I have one that I it was an offhand comment I made to Tom Crick. You know Tom Crick at Aspire? He's the head coach. Oh yeah, I've met him. I have met him there. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a super good guy, and he was. I worked a lot with him uh, in a lot of the coach development work we did um, in the UK. And one day we were talking, we were doing something in that, and I said, you know, it, I was saying, you know, like a lot of these coaches, you know, they get they get uh, they get specificity and specialization confused, right? Like, so for instance, you know, he's like, that's, you know, great. You got to use that. You got to, so, you know, I, it's, it's become a bit of a catchphrase that, that I've used, which, and by that, I mean that it's okay to be specific. If you're talking about playing the sport, like you play the sport, you could do the skill until the cows come home, right? Just watch the specialization or the over, I should really, I should say over specialization or the too early specialization because that's the problem we're at. So a lot of, in other words, a lot of people play it too safe. They won't, you know, they don't want to let their kids, you know, play soccer every day. Well, freaking kids in South America play soccer every day, all day. And that's how they get good, right? That's how they get great. What they don't do is they don't start training like hardcore for, you know, they don't have a, you know, a, you know, they're, they're, they're not running special endurance to become a better soccer player or, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. like I, the, I, I think it lines up with, with what you were saying, because, and again, it's one of those things where people, they, they, they can't see it in a more subtle or, or in more nuanced fashion, right? It's, it's always all or nothing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, if your kid, you know, I, I, I say to people all the time, if a kid wants to go out and throw the discus because they love throwing the discus like I did, you know, like you, you mentioned you, you know, when uh, when you were a kid, what, what you were into, with me, it was the discus. I went and bought a, a rubber, $6 rubber discus, and I used to throw it from my house to the discus circle across, <laughs> out of my high what what would what would become my high school across the street. Right. I did that every day. I remember it took me 42 throws and I would try to get it down to 40 or whatever. Right. I loved it, but that's fine. I did it every day. Well, that's fine. No, you know, I was driving it, but I wasn't in the weight room. You know, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't intensifying everything prematurely, but you can do the actual sporting event, competitive event all you want for the most part, unless there's sports that I'm thinking, you know, well, I, there are probably events in track and field. If you want to be a marathoner and you're 12, <laughs> you, you should probably stay away from it. But you know, if you want to be a soccer player, let the kid play soccer. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, you know. the, uh, I've done some visits at the top academies in the world, soccer academies in the world. And, you know, these are programs where they are taking kids from, 10, 11 years old, uh, and maybe taking some of these kids who will, you know, within eight years be worth 40, $50 million that they'll sell to Jeez. another club or whatever to sell the rights. And these kids are in their academy programs. And, you know, an American would might look at their program and go like, oh, these kids are literally a commodity. Let's try to make them the best soccer player they can by playing soccer all day long. And we're just going to do soccer, soccer, soccer. And all they compete in is soccer. I don't know that they do anything else, but guess what? They're playing basketball. They're playing handball, the right. stuff like right. that. So, uh, you know, you go to Aspire and you look at what they're doing with their track kids. Well, they've got to play basketball every now and then. The younger kids, they've got to do 
gymnastics and tumbling and things of that nature. So yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, recognizing that uh, the difference, I guess, between and, yeah. and where someone sits on that developmental pathway because there's nothing wrong with it. At some point in time, you got to specialize. There's no question about that. You got to get mm -hmm. hyper-specific. You know, uh, you're not going to become a better javelin thrower by sitting on a bike. So, uh, and I think people recognize that, but they all, they fail to recognize the other side of the continuum of like, there's all these foundational qualities that maybe just need to be developed to be a, a high-functioning human being, first and foremost. And uh, maybe having this long-term success. Like I think Tiger Woods is a really great example. Actually, is to to both on both sides of this, right? He the guy specialized from the time he's like two years old or whatever. I think yeah. maybe yeah. before. Have you that. seen the documentary? I haven't seen it, but uh, you oh know, my god, I'm, guy, I'm familiar you with the, it. It's familiar, so good, right? I mean the guy, and then he has success. Basically, is world class by the time he's 18 years old. Um, but I think on the flip side of it, you potentially see like, Hey, this guy's body's been breaking down for like 10 years. He's like 40 years old. Well, what if he hadn't been so hyper-specific early on? Yeah. So it's kind of like this, um, you gotta, there's a trade-off here. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. To oh, totally, totally. And, and you know, like what I was saying, but I, I think the key is in the word let, right? Like let them play as much as they want. Let them let yeah. them play their sport, not make them, right? right? Or, you know, coerce them or, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, trick them or, or, or whatever it is that was that you, you got to watch that documentary, man. That, that that's unbelievable. <laughs> you, you get it. I, I won't, I, I won't give you any spoilers cause I found it absolutely fascinating and you really can't put the whole picture together until the very end. Right. Like it, it's, it's pretty, it, it was so well done that thing. But anyways, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I think it's, you know, that's a tough one, Tiger Woods, because in a lot of ways, I mean, if you want to be the, if you want to be the greatest golfer that ever lived, well, you know, I mean, he did, I mean, he learned early, he, he learned the right skills early and, but you know, at what cost, right? Yeah. Like f physically and emotionally, there's got to be, you know, I don't really need to know if you need to start at two or three, you know, uh, but there's some footage in there of him hitting a ball at that age. It It's perfection. It's, yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's so it's, you know, Oh God. Anyways, I think, I think skill has a lot to do with this in terms of where, you start and end up on this continuum in terms of how you implement a lot of this because the thing with athletics i mean if you're an endurance runner right then it's all it's it's all work work right, yeah, right. i mean yeah. skills important of course it is skills important in learning how to run properly and posture and all of that but not like it is in golf or soccer or you know one of these other ones so you know and and you know, skill and flexibility, the, the, um, the early development of those two abilities is pretty much what defines an early entry sport, right? That's what separates them from, from the later entry sports. So it's, uh, you know, if, if it, it does, it does what sport we're talking about absolutely has, has relevance to this discussion, right? Sure. And you and I primarily work in a sport where, you know, a lot of it is about the production of 
power, uh, you know, um, speed and power or, or uh, extending that for as long as you can. Endurance, right? And those are very, you know, that's, there's, you know, it's, uh, you know, skill is very important. It's very important in the vault. It's very important in the throws, but it's not, you know, our sport is all about generating, it's all about force application, right? Am for I, sure. Yep. Did, did yeah. I go off there? Sorry. No, I think you're right. Like, I, I think you didn't directly address it, but I think that's why the things like the 10,000 hour rule is to, totally bogus, right? Maybe it holds true for playing a violin, but Donald yes. Thomas blows it right out of the water. And there's been a handful of track and field athletes where, you know, you, can, you simply cannot trump talent when it comes to speed and power development. I think we can certainly train it up and at, at this at the highest level that certainly matters a heck of a lot but you know if you were to say give me a 12 second eight you know fully mature 12 second 100 meter runner and ask me to turn him into an olympic champion it's simply not going to happen so there's yeah it doesn't matter if we go 20,000 hours but you take yeah. someone <laughs> right like you and me right like you and me. like you and me what was your pb as a decathlete low 6,000. So uh, as I was I say, mid. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I was 66, 80, 66, 85. Yeah. I'm 64. TV. So, uh, okay. when I say middling, it's, uh, and I had, I had quite a few under that. So, um, mediocre at best is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Same <laughs> with me. That's why I became a coach. Yeah. It's like I asked Dan once what, what he did. He said, yeah, I was a pole vaulter. He goes, oh, I wasn't a very good one. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, yeah, that's why we became coaches. Yeah. So. All right, so this, this, this has been amazing. You know, I, I have a sport parent course that I, I spent like a year working on, right? <laughs> I've sold three of them on <laughs> Stu, Stu laughs when, when I, I told him that he laughed his head off. But so what I'm doing is I'm repackaging it and there's a series of videos that I that I put in there. And I would really like you if you got the time and they're not long. They're about 10 minutes each. There's five or six of them. These are sort of summary videos that I think are the best content in this sport parent course. And the, the point of the course is to um, I mean, ultimately, it'll be three courses for parents. One, talking about what you should and shouldn't see when you walk into a facility. Like yours would be a model, right? Like you walk into Mike's facility, what you're seeing at what age should be is is appropriate. But what are, you know, like how does a parent know, right? Like how does a parent know that? Like you, you don't know, right? Like, and, <clears throat> and even in these days, these desperate times, I mean, someone like you and I, I mean, me here in Chicago, I, I'm I'm looking for anything I can get my kid into, right? So, you know, I, I set up this, the first course, it's three courses. The first one, which is done, but I'm going to repackage it, is on that. The second one is going to be on educating parents on, it is their video courses, right? Um, educating parents on how to deal with coaches, like how to deal, how to understand coaching and deal with coaches. Like if you got an issue what's the do's and don'ts and how does a coach think and you know like you know just because i think that would help a lot and then the third one is understanding your athlete like under you know like how do you you know everything from the more emotional psychological side of things to even the physical you know even just real basics on like 
you know, what should they be eating? Because that's always the first question I get from parents, right? Whenever, you know, I find out a coach, oh, well, what, what, you know, should my kid be taking this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, uh, but these, this, this series of videos, when I repackage it, I would really like you to take a look at it and give me some feedback on it because um, I think you and I, you know, uh, see a lot of this in, in, in the same way. So, um, so I would like, you know, I would like you to do that, but you know, like what are your thoughts, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of what parents should be thinking about when, uh, in, in this day and age, like, so, you know, obviously I guess you could say that your entire program is, is <laughs> represents what parents should be thinking about. But, you know, if there's someone listening to this, a, a coach slash parent, you know, like what, what what's your general advice to them in terms of what, uh, you know, what they should be looking for, um, how to go about doing, you know, just anything general. So I, I think the biggest concern is probably the, the younger kids are. So the further removed you are from super high performance, the less obvious it is to know what is appropriate. Uh, you know, the problem I think is where parents well turn on sports science on ESPN or they see the highlight clip from the Super Bowl and they see these NFL guys or track guys or whatever it is and what they do. And they assume that that's what got them there in the first place and that they assume that that's what uh, their child should do. When in fact, you know, you take an athlete who's 30 years old, you take an athlete who's Tom Brady, you know, just won his uh, seventh Super Bowl at 43 or whatever it is years old. You better believe he wasn't doing hyper specialized work when the kid's seven years old. He's just playing games. Absolutely. He's out at the parking, yeah. you know, the, the parking lot, kicking around a ball, throwing a ball, whatever. You know, LeBron James, he's going on to 36 years old. What did he do? Well, he was like an all-star wide receiver until his junior year in high school. So, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back. And I think the, the stuff that is most appealing, that that is most obvious right in front of us, is not necessarily what we would do. I The recommendation that I would have is think of sport development or fitness development similar to how we view academic or educational style learning. And what I mean by that is no one in their right mind would try to teach a youth athlete or would try to teach someone of that youth athlete age, say 10 years old, eight years old, quantum physics, right? It just simply wouldn't happen. They'd have to teach them how to count first and how to know what the alphabet is first. The same thing is true with, you know, motor skill development, with fitness development. You got to teach them the very, very basics. What is the basics? Can they do a jumping jack? Can they squat? Can they lunge? Can they hinge? Can they press? Can they you know, climb, crawl, all that type of stuff. And I'm not one of these guys that's going to talk about all kinds of primal animal patterns and all that kind of stuff. But there's a certain level of uh, truth to the fact that we're made to do athletic things. Our bodies are made to move. And if we have, say, youth athletes that haven't done these basic things because of the absence of appropriate physical education and play, then we need to introduce that period. And or or sports that respect seasonal boundaries, right? right. Well, that's so almost if, gone right now. So yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, there, there's no such thing as a three or four sports 
athlete in high school anymore. I mean, it's well, I mean, I come from Canada where school sports are basically dead. Right. I mean, it's 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 still way better here, but carry on. Sorry. So, I mean, at least view it from that perspective where no one would no one would try to teach an advanced level course, whatever that might be before you learn the fundamentals. So don't look at what what the end goal is and think that that's what they're doing to maintain their position there is the same thing that they did to uh, get there in the first place. You know, and you can take that you can take that wherever you want, whether that's riding a bike or you know, driving a car. A race car driver didn't pop in the seat at 100 miles an hour. They learned to drive in a probably an empty parking lot or something like that first. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yet we take kids in this in, and try to do this most advanced things early. And uh, I think that's a massive mistake. That's probably the biggest mistake I would see. So much of this will come down to like parents educating themselves. But as long as there's a recognition that what is done at the furthest end of the continuum is not what should be done to get someone to the furthest end of the continuum, then you at least take a take a recognition that, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing that <laughs> or I need mm-hmm. to open my mind to other other means and methods. And um, one thing that I we have already discussed that I think is you have to you have to view at all points in time is that there's no such thing as absolutes. Not not in a successful yeah. you know developmental program, coaching program, whatever it is, political beliefs, the, all that stuff is absolutes are not going to exist really. So uh, you know if you if someone told you like oh you've got to use the Vertimax or oh you've got to get 10,000 hours or whatever it is, that should immediately be a red flag for you. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. It, you yeah. know, if, that's, if I, that's one thing I say in the course. Yeah. If, if you've heard that, flag. it should be, if anything, that should immediately discredit the person who has said, said it, okay. uh, if anything else, right? So the moment someone said, told me an absolute as if I had to do something, my immediate response would internally would be like oh i'm not listening to this guy that should be you know maybe maybe this person builds back their credibility but you immediately started off on the wrong foot with me uh if you start to speak like that because it doesn't actually that's not how things actually work um so i mean just take a a holistic view take a long-term view and what that long-term vision is 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 going to be different in every case but it's going to be longer than a year or two especially if you're dealing with an adolescent you 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 talked earlier at the beginning of this that you were the biomechanist uh, for twelve years for for USA Track and Field in the I think shot it was put, sixteen right? to be honest sixteen uh, sorry sixteen yeah. no you're right you said sixteen sorry um, and uh, you mentioned Michelle Carter okay so right at the beginning of the pandemic uh, I was on a panel or I I I I I was asked to. Speak I think it was, uh, I don't I, I, I did a whole bunch of them, but anyways, there's one, in, I think it was a Portuguese one that I, that I did a presentation on and I had access to other, you know, to other people speaking. And one of them was Michelle Carter. And I think it was a Portuguese, it doesn't matter. But anyways, and she was talking about her, um, her history in that. And there was a question and answer at the end. And I, and I asked her, I said, Michelle, you know, like, when did you start to lift? Can you give us, you know, and I have no clue, like, 
I, I know nothing about Michelle Carter's development, okay? Um, you, I'm sure, know lots about it. And, uh, and, you know, I just... Now, for the listeners who don't know who Michelle Carter is, Michelle Carter is the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in the women's shot put. Has America ever had a gold medalist in the in a in the female uh, in the women's shot put I, I i'm certain they haven't have Not they ever reason, had a medalist? i don't believe so uh i believe ramona I, I pagel they, may have won a medal at some point in time did, did ramona pagel win a medal okay well if she did the, but but michelle carter let's just say she's far and away the most successful i would say yeah female shot putter in american history okay you know what she said when i asked her that she goes, I, I just started lifting until I got into college. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. I'm going to use that because, you know, and for those also, for those who, who don't know her as well, her father is a, was a high school legend in, in, in the shot put. And so I, you know, something in the back of my head thought that, you know, because of her dad or whatever, he well, also be, was a NFL. That's right. NFL so beyond high school legend, he was, he's the only individual to have won an Olympic gold medal and a Super Bowl, uh, as far as I'm Is aware. At, may, may, wow. at the very least in the same year. Yeah, so yeah. the guy's just uh, an, uh, so a, he a must monster have, of a so human he's being. he's got his head screwed on straight in terms of development. And he must, yeah. because if his daughter did not start lifting till she got into college, either he was behind that or they had a hell of a lot of fights. Well, I believe right? he coached her. I'm not positive, but he coached her definitely I, post-collegiately. Sure yeah. Coached her high school okay, and post-collegiately. Yeah. Uh, so I assume that was his doing, you know, and right. monster of so, a monster of a guy, great guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've never I, met him. I'd love to. And, and just a powerhouse of a family. I think the sister, I think there were two sisters that were also, Pretty close to world-class throwers, NCAA two, champions. Two other sisters? There's one sister that I think won a national championship in the discus, and I believe another one as well. I'm, wow. I, don't quote me on that, but I, I know there's a, a discus thrower who was, uh, one sister was a discus thrower. I did had no interaction with her, but it, she was elite level. Um, yeah. Not And not to mention, she seemed like the sweetest girl ever. Yeah. Like, like she just really came across as a beautiful person. So yeah. anyways, I think that's a good place to end. Sounds good. Listen, Mike, I really, really appreciate it. Um, we didn't get to any of the more specialist questions. This is, you know, this is what happened with Stu, but I would love to have you back. Let's plan on, on, you know, even get them in in little bits. Let's do more. I think you have so much to offer. I think, and this is something I'm going to, I was, wasn't going to say to you, but I was, I'm definitely putting it in the intro. Your presentations on my site, like, 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 again, I didn't really know who you were when, when I, um, I, not that I didn't know who you were. I hadn't met you. I hadn't seen it. You know, I hadn't, I just wasn't familiar with your background. When I was editing those, I was like, God damn, these are the, this is the best content I have on my site in terms of the, the quality of information, the presentation, the, the even down to the slides, the way, you know, the way that you the the, the artistry in the slides, it, it's fantastic. It's really, really good stuff. And I and I I'm just very thankful that that stuff's on my site. So well, thanks. Anyways, thank that. you for doing this. No problem. Thanks for uh, right, giving buddy. me a shout. See you there.